0: Um, Okay, to start, let me uh, take you back to 1965, believe it or not, 1965 and to the world of boxing. You heard it correctly, 1965 and the world of boxing. So in that year, a young uh, promising fighter was emerging onto the scene, and his name was Cassius Clay. Uh, After a couple of solid victories, uh, Cassius Clay had developed something of a significant following by this stage in 1965. But what faced him next was something altogether different because in this year, his next opponent was none other than Mr. Sonny Liston. So Sonny Liston, we have to understand, was reckoned to be absolutely unbeatable. Nobody was going to be able to beat uh, Sonny Liston. Uh, He had, a couple of years prior to that, secured the world title. And he never, even for a split second, looked like he was going to lose the world title. So this was set up to be a heavyweight clash like never before. Well, as we open our Bibles... And we come to Luke chapter 7. We have something similar uh, before us this morning here. Our Lord Jesus has been gathering something of a growing significant following in the early part of his earthly ministry. With these healing miracles that we've seen recently, our Lord has recorded a few solid victories. But what faces him next and here in these verses What what faces him here is an entirely different foe. You can recognize that, can't you? Here, what faces him is a seemingly unbeatable opponent because in Luke chapter 7, Jesus here is going toe-to-toe with death. This morning in this portion of Scripture, we find death, but death is up against the way, the truth, and the life. A heavyweight clash. So if you've got your Bible, uh, then please turn with me to Luke chapter 7. As Will said, we're looking at those verses from 11 to 17. For the young people that are still in here, maybe parents or you're sitting with, they can let you look at the text now and again uh, as well. And we're going to look at this portion of Scripture, this heavyweight clash. We're going to look at it under three headings this morning, predictably. Uh, But the first of those is this. We're going to notice here the character of Jesus, the character of our Lord. Okay, so for those in the room who are uh, map geeks, like I am, and for those who like uh, geography to some degree or other, I think the first thing that's interesting to note is the fact that we have moved location uh, from last week, haven't we? Uh, Where were we last week? We were in uh, Capernaum. So that was, I think I mentioned it last week, is northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we've moved. Where are we now? Do you notice? (coughs) We're in Nain. Don't make a mistake here. We're not in Nairn. We're not in Nairn. Jesus is not just slightly outside Inverness. It's Nain. So this is a city that was about 25 miles south of where we were last time out. And this is a a town or a city that has a special significance, a special relevance of its own, which we will come back to later on. It's name. Now, even if you don't like boxing, I'm going to keep going with this, even if you don't like boxing, and I don't particularly, I think we all know how a boxing match uh, will begin, don't we? We know that before the fight, before the bout, Uh, the two respective entourage will make a sort of grand appearance, won't they? They'll appear to great fanfare. So what happened? It is a big heavyweight fight. So the lights will go out, won't they? And like from one side of the arena, the curtain will come back. Out will come the heavyweight champion, but he'll not be alone, will he? No, it'll be his whole crew his manager will be there, and then there'll be a friend carrying the belt, and everyone's coming out, a great fanfare, high fives, music, the works. Then what happens? Then what happens? Then the other side of the arena, you'll have the challenger. He'll come out, but he'll come out with his crew and his friends, a great fanfare, two groups, two entourage, and they are converging. Do you notice that's the emphasis here? Now, the emphasis actually that Luke makes at the start of this section of Scripture is on two large crowds that seem to converge and come together at a point. Who, who are these large crowds? You haven't on one side you've got Jesus, okay, and you have this, this growing, uh, these growing band of followers that are following Jesus. That's the obvious one. but wait a minute. who's the other group? You must have noticed when Will read out that what we've got is a funeral procession. I think it's important that we pick up on that. So, who's this other group? You've got coming out of the city of Nain. You've got mourners. They're moving out this large group. They're going to a a burial. And this is the the interesting detail. What they're doing is following tradition. So, the tradition was that the, the group would leave the city following on behind the bereaved. Do you get that? So you've got the bereaved and they lead the way as this funeral procession leaves the the city of Nain. Now, you see that bereaved person here? I think if we're going to really get a grips with this portion of Scripture, we have to turn the spotlight onto this person. And as we do that, and as we think about this bereaved woman, isn't it such a sorry tale? Did you pick up on the details, the sadness of this? Now you think about what we're told. What's the obvious thing? Come on. This woman is burying her son today. Now, the language is not that straightforward. But certainly verse 14 makes his youth clear. So being buried here is a young lad. But we can add detail to that. Because if we just go a little bit further, you must notice this was her only child. Doesn't it add a, a, a greater dimension or depth to it? What would that mean to her? Come on, I, I think we understand that more than likely, this means that this woman is going to be left destitute, isn't she? Like we, we know that employment opportunities... <laughs> Uh, in the first century world for a woman not like they are today. And we also know that there's, there's not any state benefits for this woman. Isn't it incredibly sad? Like This woman is, is realizing that she's going to be exposed, destitute. And I, I reckon all of us are on the same page. Like We can all sympathize, and it seems awful, but there's just a little detail more And it's the one that's got me this week. And it's the fact that she's a widow. And you can see what that means for this woman. It means that she's done this before. You see it, don't you? Like she's led this funeral procession already. She's walked this route before. Like no wonder there's a big crowd right? No wonder the city of Nain has gone out for this woman. It's incredibly sad. <laughs> and then as one that we just want to say, hallelujah. Because this day, her day, is about to be flicked on its head, isn't it? Entirely turned on its head. And it's actually the basis for this that I want you to get the reason for it. Let's make use of the technology that we've got at our disposal, he says, with hope and trust and confidence. Uh, and let's look at verse 13. Because what's the basis here? Why does the, the day... What, what do you read? What have you got on the screen? When, when the Lord saw her, what happened? What happened? Jesus, He had compassion on her. Come on, Christian friends. And those beautiful words, he had compassion on her. Like God came amongst us. God dressed himself in flesh. And what was God like? He was a man who showed compassion and care. And that's beautiful, isn't it? In fact, it's so lovely and special. I want you just to pick up on the two different directions of the compassion with me. What do I mean? Well, notice where, look on the screen, notice where the compassion comes from. (laughs) What did we just read? What did I just say? When he saw her, he had compassion. I'm not alone. I might think that's a lovely detail as well, isn't it? When he saw her. Like can you can you visualize what Jesus saw as he's he's walking up the hill to to Nain? What does he see in front of him? He sees from the city, he sees this crowd coming out of the city, he looks there, then he sees the beer. You know, this what is that? That's the plank, isn't it? That they, they use to carry the, this young lad on a corpse, and, and Jesus looks from the crowd, and then he sees the, the beer, and then he sees The woman, no doubt, right? She's struggling, don't you think? No doubt, perhaps even weeping at this point. And what happens in that split second? Jesus sees her, the son of man sees her, and it evokes an emotional response from the son of God. Like Jesus' heart, as he looks at her, his heart goes out to her. This is our sword here. He sees her and has compassion on her. So we see where the compassion comes from, but where does it lead? Because I, I need to ask you what you think of what Jesus uh, says to the woman, and I want to advise you not to say this at a funeral uh, to the bereaved ever. But do you see what Jesus says here? He, he goes to her, he approaches her, and he says to her, do not weep do not what what do you think come on what do you think do you think that's a little bit sharp do you think it seems uncaring of course it is nothing of the sort what jesus is doing there is hinting isn't he do not weep he's hinting at what he's about to do but what i find interesting there is just how different this is to what you and i looked at last week uh, were you here most of you were here were you do you remember last week what did jesus do he he healed the servant, do you remember, who was sick? He, 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 but how did, why did Jesus do that? Do, do you remember the flow of the account? Jesus did this because he was begged to do it, wasn't he? Do you remember the centurion? And he sends the two delegations uh, to, to Jesus. And please, remember the, 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 the centurion appealing to Jesus, please heal my servant. Do you notice, not a bit of it here. Nothing like that here. You think of your Lord. Jesus acts here without even being asked. Like such is his compassion. Jesus here just quite simply in that moment, he takes the initiative here. Like what mercy? What compassion in our Lord? What a savior. And then surely St. Peter's we ask, and what about us? Like, what what do we do with this? Uh, Last week on our our visits, last week I was having a chat uh, with a member of the church, round at his, uh, we're just having a uh, cup of tea and a chat, Uh, a good time. And uh, this chat was speaking to me about what uh, his advancing years, let's say, what they were sort of doing to his character. So I sort of throw away comment about the fact that he feels that he's getting a little bit uh, less patient as the years go by. And that's a common experience for us, isn't it? Uh, As we grow a little bit older in the tooth, I'm being very careful not to look at anyone in the congregation. I looked at Hugh and then looked quickly away. But it is a common experience, isn't it? Like our character seems to change a little bit. As we, where would we be without God's work of sanctification? You know, like as, as we get older, like we can find ourselves being a, becoming a little bit grumpier, grumpy old men. Can we say grumpy old women? We find ourselves sometimes becoming a, a little bit just more impatient, less sympathetic. Even is that not the case? Well, there are people in this room just now who are struggling with great sadness in their life and there's people in this room who are struggling with loss and bereavement and I need you to understand that Jesus is not like that. I need you to hear like, Hebrews thirteen eight, and to take it to yourself, maybe even to put it on your lips in prayer and what does it say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. What does that tell you this morning? It tells you that this immeasurably kind figure that we have just encountered in Luke chapter 7 is the same Lord who's looking over your life right now. Like this one, who is just unspeakably compassionate and, and merciful and the friend of the suffering, the friend here of the bereaved. He is the same God who is with you, active in your life just now. That's him. He never changes. He's not like us. And what does that mean? Surely that provides all the incentive we need in the world to go to Jesus, to rest in Jesus, to lean on Jesus in our present pain. We see something of the character of Jesus here. Second of all, we have to surely consider the power of Jesus in this portion of Scripture. Don't you think the power of Jesus? Now, excuse me, to continue our boxing theme, and even if it is just, oh, I love how these things match up, brother. But even if it is just from watching the Rocky movies, I think uh, you know that there is a point in a boxing match when all that introductory pomp ends and a fight gets underway. We know that even if we don't like boxing, even if it's just from these Rocky films that I'm sure we've all watched. There's a point. What happens? There's a point, isn't there, when all the the, the two respective groups, the crews, the entourage move off. You've just got the boxers in the ring and they, they remove what that robe thing And the referee summons them together. And what happens? So the boxers, they they stand, don't they? Face to face. And then there's that tap of the boxing gloves, isn't there? And then there's the bell. And then round one. And you know right at that moment what's going to happen. You know battle is going to commence. That's where you come to here. That's what happens now. Like Jesus has... He's approached this funeral procession, and Jesus has what? He's spoken to the woman. Now, right now, Jesus goes toe-to-toe with death. Should we not look at it? Let's do that. If we look at at verse 14 on the screen, how does Jesus deal with death here? I I, I suppose I think there's two aspects that we should pick up on in verse 14. What's the first thing that he does? Do you, do you notice that he, he touches this beer and he, and he, he brings the procession to a, a halt? I think I think we probably do appreciate how shocking that would have been, do we, in a group here just now, to touch the beer, to touch where the, the corpse was? I mean, this was something that was not done. This was something that would, in normal circumstances, rendered the person immediately ceremonially unclean, wouldn't it? You did not do this. You should not do this in a sick, Jesus does it. Here, here is the one who can reach out to death (laughs) impervious. Here is the only one who can stop that seemingly unstoppable march of death. He touches the beer. He halts the procession. That's number one. What's the second thing? Do you look at the end of the verse? What does Jesus do in this battle? Do you notice he speaks? I think that that emphasis on the power of Jesus' word here is everything. Maybe um, you recognize there's a sort of continuity or a continuation from last week. Do you remember that? What was it that the centurion had the second delegation say to Jesus? Do you remember the centurion didn't want Jesus at his house? What does he say to Jesus? He says to Jesus, Jesus, just say the word. Just say that word. That's all you need to do, Jesus, and and he'll be healed. So there's that continuation. But I would also love for you to think about actually the three resuscitation from death miracles, the three resurrection miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. If you were on the spot, could you name them? (laughs) Could the young people in the room name the three times that Jesus raises the dead in his earthly ministry? I won't ask any of you so you can relax. We know it, don't we? Here, what else? Lazarus, Who else? Jairus' daughter. And then you think about the common denominator with all of those. How did Jesus do do such a miracle each time? All that happens is that our Lord speaks by his voice. He raises the the dead. And and that is what what happens here, isn't it? Do, Do you notice the detail? Jesus says, he says what? Arise. And what happens? The life returns to this young lad on a, on a beer, his, his corpse, like breath returns to this young lad's lungs. And, and then you read what I'm going to suggest is the most illogical phrase in the whole Bible. Don't you? Do you see it? It doesn't make any sense. But look look at the way that the author writes this. So Jesus speaks and, ready for it, and the dead man sat up. Isn't it illogical? What do you read? The dead man began to speak. I mean, it's illogical, but isn't it wonderful? Now, the truth is, of course, in the life of churches like ours, we return to portions of Scripture like this fairly often. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you've been at churches for many years, you know that a text like this can be handled in all number of different ways. It can be applied in different ways. We get that. We know this. I think, personally, in this miracle, God is especially good to saints. Well, I think God gives us as a church this morning, from the hands of the Almighty, I think He gives us three free gifts and you don't want to miss them. First of all, in this miracle, God gives us a a hint. (laughs) Let me ask you this. I'll turn it to you. But what is it in his earthly ministry that Jesus of Nazareth came to do? What did the Son of Man come to do? How would you answer that? Was it just to heal people? Jesus of Nazareth, did he come just to teach people? Did G- as you would hear in a, probably a million other contexts, did Jesus of Nazareth come just to set us a moral example? And I would hope this church would say as one, no, there's more to it than that. And is that not what's happening here? In this miracle, does God not give you a little nudge in the ribs? and point you on ahead. Isn't that what's happening here? Because do we not see a little hint that that in Jesus' own life, he would experience this very thing, that Jesus of Nazareth would later on, he would in a sense lie on a bier, wouldn't he? He would be carried in death, and what was that? That was, listen to me, that was the death of a beloved son, wasn't it? In Jesus' own death, that was the death of an only son, an only begotten son. But what would happen in that tomb is it not this? What would happen by the by the goodness of God that Jesus of Nazareth would defeat death, that He would set up that He would speak. Do you see here in this miracle? You are being pointed to. It's hinted at, isn't it? That redemptive work of Christ. That's the first. But then what God gives us also is an illustration. Because in all seriousness, I'd ask, are you in here this morning and you are yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we this morning a mixed group of people? Are you yet to, to look at Jesus and fall before Jesus and put your faith in the Lord Jesus? Oh, I want you to see that in this miracle you're given a picture of what Jesus of Nazareth offers you. This very morning, in this very hour, this minute, I want you to understand that spiritually speaking, we are like this young lad as as, as we meet him outside of a, a work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did you hear that? Spiritually, if, if God is not at work and does not change us, we lie on a, a spiritual we are unable to act for spiritual good. And what is it that Jesus Christ offers? If we recognize the weight of that sin, that predicament, and if we call out to Jesus in repentance and faith, this is what happens. Like spiritually, Jesus says in the gospel, I will make you spiritually alive. And you will be able to sit up and speak. You're given by God in this miracle an illustration of what Christ can do for us. And so, you see, we're given a hint, aren't we, at what Christ will do. We're given an illustration. But, do you know, the third thing, the third thing is beautiful, most important in this miracle, Christian friends, God gives you a pledge. God this morning gives you a pledge. I would ask you if you're a Christian to look up... <coughs> And I would ask you, if you're a Christian, to look ahead. Like, if, if you look ahead in your life, what do you think lies ahead of you? So if you think about the next 10 years of your life, the next 20 years of your life, what do you think is on the horizon? What is coming to you? Well, especially if you are an older saint in this room, I'll tread carefully, that especially if you know that the best years of your life are behind you, especially if you know that okay death perhaps is around the corner, I need to, you need to see it, that in this miracle, God here gives you a pledge to see what God is going to do for you, Christian friend. Let me read First Thessalonians 4. You don't want to miss it. Listen for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet. What's the next part? Listen. And the dead in Christ shall rise. The dead in Christ shall rise. Do you see that there's a reflection of ourselves here? That if we're in Christ Jesus, we are ourselves in the end, by his grace and goodness, we ourselves will defeat death. We shall rise. Death will not defeat us. And maybe this morning we wrestle with that a little bit, don't we? And, and we, what will the experience of, be of that? What, how will that happen? And I would say back to you, it will happen in exactly the way that you have here. Jesus says in John chapter 5, He promises you, Christian friends, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God. Do do you see that just as in Luke chapter 7, we will be on our bier, we will be in our tombs, and we will hear something. We will hear the voice of our Savior, our Good Shepherd, and what will happen? We will, we will arise, Christian friend, Where will we go? Do you know where we'll go? In Christ, we will go to a place absent of pain and the aches that we know just now, and it's going to be a place absent of disease, And it will be a a place absent of, of the loss that some are experiencing, a place absent of bereavement. And it's more because it's a place of utter spiritual blessing, a place of joy and delight. And the best thing of all, it's an experience all in the company of this one, this compassionate friend, this compassionate king. Friends, this is a miracle that you should treasure because in it, God gives you a hint of what Christ would do. He gives you an illustration of what Christ's death and resurrection will secure for you. And God even gives you a pledge of what is coming to you in Christ Jesus. One day soon, we too shall rise. And then the last thing, most briefly of all, we've seen the character of Jesus, the power of Jesus, but then the response to Jesus, the response, because it's a little bit unusual as we work through Luke's gospel, because unlike a lot of the other sections that we have studied together, here there is a, there's a very deliberate and clear emphasis on the crowd, so we talked about two groups of people converging, so we can call that one big crowd. But Luke, the author, wants you just to turn your gaze from the beer, and he wants you to look at the crowd and to think about their response or the reaction to what they've just seen. So what is the reaction? I, I want to suggest this. What we have here <laughs> it's positive, there's no doubt it's positive, but what we have here is an inadequate conclusion. It's inadequate. Now, let's look at it. If we could put up verse 16, do, do you agree that things seem positive from the crowd? Verse 16. Like, what's the response? I mean, think about what they've just witnessed. There's fear. There's always fear in a miracle like this. You'll see that throughout Scripture. Then there's what? There's praise of God. So it's positive. What do they recognize? Do you notice that they recognize Jesus' prophetic office? Do you see that that's the emphasis? He's a prophet. They they look at Jesus, they see what he's done, and it's his prophetic office. Now, the reason for that, I think, I said this last week, it's true here. There's more here than meets the eye. Do you remember what I promised you? I said at the start that the nairn, that nain had a, a relevance or a significance all of its own. I said, we come back to it. Let's, let's do that. Let's come back to it. So Nain, this city, was set up on a hill. And it was about uh, six miles away from Nazareth. Now, the thing about it was that this city of Nain was located on the same hill as another town, another city. Wait for it. So it was located on the same hill as the city of Shunem. Ring bells. Think about it, scan the Old Testament. Shunammite woman. So this city was located on the same hill where, I don't know, 800 years previously, Elisha had been. And what had he done for the Shunammite woman? The same hill where all those years previously, Elisha had acted, and he had raised this, upset woman's son. The same hill, the same location. And the thing about it is that this crowd that's now gathered, they put the pieces of the jigsaw together, don't they? They, they look and say, of course, this is a, a prophet of God. Like Elisha beforehand, just a great prophet. And they praise God. Now, you're with me when I say that seems all beautifully positive, But what did I say a moment ago? I said it was an inadequate uh, conclusion. This will sound strange, but I think in front of you here on this text, there is the absence of the definite article. There's the absence of the word the. Because what do we know from the Old Testament? We know that God had made his people a promise. One day, one greater than Moses is gonna come, right? And the people had to prepare for who? For, for this figure, this Christ, this Savior. One day, the great prophet would come. And do you notice it here? Like the, the people, they're praising God. But what do they call Jesus? They allude to Jesus and it's not, he's the, they, they call him Ah, great prophet. The absence of a definite article. Did you see? They are uncertain. They can see here that, yes, with Jesus, God is active. They're here in Jesus, the agent of God's power, but is this the one? Is this the great prophet? Is this the savior that we're waiting for? They are not sure. And so, in light of that, let me bring you back as we close to 1965. That boxing match that I mentioned at the start, it gave rise it's what is commonly known as the most iconic sports photograph that has ever been taken. And I know that all of you have seen this photograph, whether you recognize it or remember it or not, this bout. In the photograph, and you may, it'll maybe come to your mind, in the photograph, at the front of the, front of the photograph, you've got Sonny Liston. Where's Sonny Liston? He's lying flat out on the deck. Sonny Liston is on the canvas, and then in the photograph above Sonny Liston, you have a certain Cassius Clay, or he goes by another name, you have Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston, and Muhammad Ali is shouting down in the photograph, but the thing that makes the photograph is his pose, this is why it's the most iconic sporting photograph, In this photograph, Cassius Clay is standing over Sonny Liston in the most triumphant pose. It's a pose, it's a scene, it's a photograph of complete and total victory. And you and I have been in Luke's gospel long enough to know why Luke focuses you on the uncertain response of the crowd. Why? Why? Because he's challenging you and me. Isn't that what Luke does? And he's saying, what about you? What about me? Do we know who Jesus is? Are we still uncertain? So I ask you, do you know who Jesus is? Do you see who he is? Do you see that there is just one figure in all of human history who has defeated death? And he has not just knocked death down. Do you understand that Jesus of Nazareth has stood over death in the most triumphant pose, completely victorious? Do you recognize this morning that he is the great prophet, the one at the center of all of human history, the one his people were waiting for, the Savior, the Christ of God? If you do, and if you've looked to him in repentance and faith, I think this morning at St. Peter's, you should leave the place dancing. You should leave rejoicing. Why? Because out of love, Jesus Christ did not just defeat death. He defeated death for you. And one day, on your bier, one day in your grave, that silence of death is going to be shattered. And in death, you will hear something what will it be? It will be a familiar voice, a loving voice. And your compassionate Savior will say to you one word. He will say to you, arise. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray.